welcome to the sixth episode of SAP Coffee Corner Radio. My name is Jacob Kerr, and together with Simon Kemp, we have a very interesting episode for you guys today. Think of a time in the early days of the internet, where clouds were still in the sky, virtual reality was reserved to NASA technologies, and SAP had just entered the German stock exchange. Well, the topic of today's podcast is from this time. It's where our four guests teamed up to create what we know as the ITS. So without further ado, we'll jump straight to the interview. See you guys on the other side. Thanks everyone for joining us. We've got people from all across the world um, on the uh, podcast today. Bjorn Gerke, Michael Bischoff, Thomas Grassel, and Michael Heckner. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Thank you. And of course, I've got my co-host Jacob um, with us today. So um, 22 years ago, these guys worked on a very uh, interesting project, I think. And recently on Twitter, we had a bit of a um, discussion. And I think there was there was a reunion recently. And they've all obviously moved on from that now, but just quickly to go around the call, I'm going to get you guys to introduce yourself as you are today, but then also very quickly, how would you have introduced yourself 22 years ago? Let's start with, uh, let's start with Bjorn. Yeah, hi. Um, yeah, Bjorn Gerke. I'm uh, CTO of SAP and uh, president of the SAP Cloud Platform uh, after 22 years uh, still with SAP and have been with SAP all the time. Back then, I would probably have introduced myself as Bjorn Software Entwickler, SAP AG. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Michael, Michael Bischoff, can you go next? Then I would have, in that period of my life, I would have introduced myself as a consultant, actually. I started my career in 1990 as a developer at Ixos, but at that time we had this thing called the NT Competence Center, where we basically tested hardware configurations on Windows NT, which was a brand new operating system, and R3 ran on this thing back then. So I was a basis consultant with a started development back then. So that was again, so that was pretty cool. And now I'm a consultant again, actually, at the Boston Consulting Group. So I left the SAP universe and uh, doing a little bit of different things, but still in the IT uh, and software space. Cool. And uh, Thomas? Yeah, it's Thomas Grussell um, at SAP, heading the developer relations and uh, SAP community programs. Um, 22 years ago, <laughs> I was the junior developer, fresh out of uh, university, starting in my first project. Cool, and Michael? Yeah, so hi, Michael here, uh, also with SAP today. Um, <clears throat> I'm a senior, senior director there for uh, what we call Center of Excellence, but what really is business development. So I'm taking care of a product line in terms of uh, field enablement and partner enablement and strategic sales support, et cetera. So taking care of a particular product and the role in that sense wasn't actually that different back then where I was um, the team lead and making sure that all the things behind the development work were working well during the ITS project that we're going to talk about today. And Really, at the time back then, I would have more introduced myself as a software engineer or uh, um, working on software projects 
Um, and at the time I was working for Ixos. Cool. So three of you are still with SAP. Only one of you managed to escape. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Very good. So you could be based. I mean, you, you, you all came over to SAP at some point in time, right? We started out with uh, more people not being with SAP than actually being with SAP. And then only later on, you joined SAP um, uh, as a company. And yeah, except for Michael, you decided to also hang around. It's, it's not a bad company, actually. That's a good sign. I, well, I was there for a long time. I joined in 97. That's exactly correct. That's when I got my green card. and. And I was officially allowed to change companies, you know, and then I went from, you know, like software back then in the US to uh, SAP Labs. So 22 years ago, um, some of our listeners, well, a lot of our listeners will remember what that's like, but can you refresh our memories a little bit? I think, Michael, you were, you were describing a little bit what it was like back in 1995, 1996. Um, can you give us a um, little bit? I mean, <laughs> yeah, obviously we were at... Uh, starting to deal with the internet at the time. Um, it, internet at the time meant it was very uh, stationary. There were no smartphones, so we were talking about a Netscape browser on a PC or maybe on a laptop. Um, and it was mostly static web pages at the time. So the idea of having dynamic content in a web page was there, but not really in any way, shape or form like we see it today with cloud applications, etc. It was just nascent to insert a little bit of dynamic uh, program generated content into a static framework. That's how I, I would describe it. Google was not really, I mean, in beginning, I think, but not the dominant player as a search engine. Amazon was was a bookshop at the time, not really a general department store, which is interesting because the, the very, very first example of a dynamic application out of an SAP system that uh, Michael Beckoff actually had thought of was to sell books, books as materials that we had stored in, in SAP and then shown on a dynamic web page. Um, that was, I think, um, where the idea came from, that there was a store called Amazon that sold books. Yeah, so um, I think that's how I remember the time, but I, I'm sure the others have also some ideas how, how it looked like back in 1995, 1996. Yeah, I mean, the prototype that I built back then was like pure high-tech. I mean, I heard about this thing called CGI, and then I wrote a visual basic program that did an RFC connect to an SAP system and, you know, even placed orders. And I, as far as I remember, this was like, you know, of course, the time before BOPIs or APIs. You know, so I think I did wrote like a batch of input thing that posted an order, sales order in the end at VA01 with batch, with batch input. So that was like the prototype in a way that we showed at Sapphire 1997. So nothing as generic as a toolkit than what, what Bjorn has, has built back then. 95. So Bjorn, 95, exactly. What did I say? 90, yeah, so it's 95. <laughs> yeah, okay. I can, can remember, I mean, back then at the times at SAP, you, not, not everybody had internet access and we had one colleague, uh, Achim Formanek, um, uh, who, who was actually the administrator of the, of the proxy server and you had to apply for an account and get a user to actually kind of log on to the internet from, from within the company because it was so restricted. 
And I know when I did my diploma thesis on kind of connecting uh, business software, R3 in, in our case, of course, to, to the internet, I, I know that that was not kind of research with Google or anything that was kind of uh, going into a library at the university and looking up books and finding maybe a few articles uh, on the internet, but it was it was very early on, uh, not a lot of, let's say, prior kind of obvious uh, uh, examples to look at or to uh, um, to, to learn from. So it was, was really, really uh, early on. And as Michael said, like technology was very bare and raw stuff, uh, not much you could actually do. I mean, you would connect with a modem, not a DSL line from your home. That, yeah. that's, that's where we started. Exactly. A good old modem were... sounds. Mm-hmm. There were not too much frameworks either. It's like like everything you had to somewhere find. Like the search engine at that time was Alta Vista. I still remember that one. And oh, you yeah, did yeah. like 50 searches to get something. You went to a bookstore. And like the, the thing, would, what I was doing was working with Java at that time, which also just came up. And that Java was the first time we had like network uh, libraries and, and calls in there. Um, otherwise, like... Yeah, Bjorn and, and Michael, they did everything in C. Mm -hmm. The ideas, yeah. So yeah, we met Java applets. That was yeah. the the first incarnation of how Java basically surfaced on the web. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so when we met, you know, all of us. Well, except all of, you know, Thomas, you weren't there. Techno, were you there at, at Sapphire '97? Yeah. And what am I saying? Uh, uh, 95? <laughs> I think it, yeah, '95. I'm ahead of my time. Sorry. Um, yeah, so that's where we met, you know, we basically, so Michael Heckner and I, we were demonstrating, you know, our archive systems and, you know, also like this little web prototype at, at Sapphire 95. And, uh, you know, eventually Achim and, and Björn came over to our booth and yeah, I mean, that's, I don't have a lot of recollection, but then, you know, the next thing we heard was let's do something together. So why did you come up with, with this concept around ITS and where, where did that came from or come from? The first one was, I mean, so what, you know, really then prompted the collaboration of the two companies, which was SAP and Ixos at that time, was that uh, Peter Zenke and Hans Frank Zimmermann, um, you know, Hans Frank Hans was basically the CEO of Ixos and Peter Zenke, obviously a member of the board back then out of SAP. Um, basically brought us all together then again at a meeting in the Bavarian Alps uh, where this all started. And it really, ITS came actually a little later. So we started with SAP and web, how it was called. And, you know, we basically started from, what was that, January 96 through more or less April. Actually, it's Zbit 96. And where basically we built the first internet. Exactly, where we built the first internet scenarios, you know, which was really based more or less burst based on Bjorn's toolkit. And uh, then we all came together in the US. I mean, I was in the US back then. Michael Heckner, I think you helped me recall. I think you were just about coming over as no, well. I was there for, I think, two years already or one and a half years already. In the oh, US. okay. Yeah, you were there, right? And Bjorn just came over. So we all came together then and had you know, started the, the really ITS code base. And I can't remember the name ITS was around at that point already. I don't think so. But we basically started the code base in the Ixos office in, yeah, 96, right off to CBIT. Yeah. 
Well, I think it was that SAP saw right at, at Sapphire in 95 that having a connection from the business system to the internet is really the way to go. So I think after that Sapphire, there was probably, and I don't know that for a fact, but there was probably some internal meetings at SAP that this is a technology trend that can't be overlooked and that SAP needs to, to open up to or have a user interface that's running on the internet. And that's why just around Christmas then, a few months after Sapphire, um, this whole initial meeting uh, in the Bavarian Alps and then also the project initially in Waldorf to develop a prototype to be shown at the SAP booth for the first time at CBIT. So for the first time then an SAP exhibit um, was initiated and the interest grew during those three months tremendously. I think SAP brought in not just the core team from us, but also then application developers to really test what kind of applications, what would actually be translated out of the SAP system to the web and use the CBIT show to gain some customer feedback. Where is the interest? What would customers like to see in the browser and what would not be interesting? And then due to the, I think, high attention that this all got at CBIT, then the project, the real development project was launched after the CBIT conference in March, April 96. And I think one of the secrets of why we all ended up here was also that somehow the feeling was that if we were supposed to move quickly and get something going for Sapphire, we needed to be a little bit out of the way of uh, headquarters uh, noise and uh, all the good advice of the people who would tell us what to do and what not to do. And it was rather kind of take a small team, put them somewhere uh, uh, into the dark, um, feed them shit and watch them grow. Um, <laughs> and uh, just keep us basically running as fast as we could um, because for Sapphire, I think there were only like four months as well to really kind of come up with a first version of this ITS product. And I can also not remember how the name came up, um, but I think it were a time where Microsoft had the Microsoft Transaction Server and I think uh, yeah, 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 yeah. it's all yeah. very popular back then. Um, and maybe that's how this ITS thing uh, in the end came up. Yeah, but I'm not, I'm not sure anymore. Yeah, but it was developed from scratch, you know, so basically when we came together then all together in, in the US in April 96, you know, it was really started from scratch. I mean, that this one of the decisions that was made early on by the management was, you know, at that point, uh, SAP was all cross platform on all, you know, Unix and NT as well. But, you know, the decision was made pretty early on by the executive that we should only develop on Windows NT. So it was completely from scratch and the first line of code, I don't can't remember who, who wrote it. I think Bjorn was work to work, do work. Do so, work. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the, the, the main program that started it. Yeah. So then we basically started developing the actual product. And so where were you, where were you getting your requirements from? You had a, a couple of early customers um, wanting to use it. I think you mentioned briefly just there before. Oh, yeah. We had one customer who was actually there already in the Bavarian Alps um, who volunteered to, to give us feedback on, on what that company wanted. But I don't think that was the main source of requirements. What, I think what the, the right idea at the time was that um, if you ask the average customer on the street, 
they wouldn't know what they would like to see on the internet. It was too early if you ask them. So imagine you have your R3 system. What kind of information, what kind of processes would you like to see on the internet? You got either no response or some just made up uh, spur of the moment response. So the real idea, the real good idea, I think, was to from from SAP to say several of the application developers from um, HR, from uh, logistics, um, from materials management were taken out of their day job and were asked to convert some of their applications to the Internet using uh, the Internet transaction server. So there was a very short uh, feedback loop cycle where um, we built the, the tra Internet transaction server and the adjacent um, Web Studio that I'm sure we're going to talk about in a few moments to help build the HTML visualization. Um, and then we gave that to the application developers who were used to their own closed SAP ABAP environment and were trying to train them how to think in the new world and how to develop there. And obviously they stumbled in some areas and said, that's too complex, I don't get it. And then that was feedback and we said, okay, we need to smoothen the edges, we need to change that. We need to make that simpler because what SAP had excelled in is that application developers prior to the internet really didn't have to think much about visualization. You could focus on the business code and then more or less the screen flow would be generated for them. Now you had to, of course, think a lot more how you visualize stuff. So there was a mutual feedback cycle. I think we came out with the first internet transaction server ITS. They started to work with it, really trying to do their best, but this is really difficult. And then we took it and developed from there. That's how I would say where the first requirements came from. Yeah, I'm not sure yeah, the others may have other thoughts on that. No, I, I mean, it was really from the internal application developers, you know, in, in SAP. And uh, back then, you know, just as Michael said, nothing was automatically generated. I mean, it was we really tried very hard to basically tell people, look, this is a different world. You can't just run VA01, you know, in its native form on the web. You have to develop a, you know, a new type of transaction. But of course, that meant you had to new, write new Dimpro screens. You had to write templates, you know, these HTML templates. And, you know, people were not always completely happy, you know, because, you know, I take a bunch of steps and it was really hard for us to convince people to write something new when, you know, something easier to use as opposed to you know the new the, the complex transactions that were already in place i have to say i mean what we need to maybe explain is like like all of this came up basically as a design mistake from the early beginning um because <laughs> at, at least oh, that's oh. Uh, <laughs> 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 originally this thing was was already ingenious i mean, we could have invented the internet basically with it um but it was stateless this whole thing was designed to be stateless. So that was what, what was coming out of my diploma thesis. And we were basically saying um, the best thing is if you keep your backend stateless uh, for the web, because you can also move back and forth with the browser and you, you need to keep the context of what you need to get a transaction going basically and uh, uh, with your front end and, and, and basically then call into the app system and get things going. So we had kind of some ingenious uh, programming model envisioned. Uh, we could have invested RESTful APIs, by the way, um, <laughs> but we didn't. Um, because 
we were told that it's too complex for an application developer to kind of learn a new programming model. They were just all trained on DUNPRO. Um, so the, um, there was a lot of experience on, on how to do write DUNPRO applications and a lot of code that people thought they could reuse. Um, and, uh, and so we were told use uh, the DIAC protocol, uh, which in itself was a pain in the neck, um, to uh, uh, to basically connect the the ITS part, the website of the house, with the R3 application server back then, and it was basically just used the Dunpro protocol. The screens were more or less originally only used as a means of data transfer into and out of the system and react to validations in the system. Um, and then only later on we kind of connected uh, the screen flow of Dunpros to templates that would render some HTML. And at some point in time, Michael had the uh, ingenious idea to basically why not generate kind of the out, uh, the output um, uh, uh, by default. I mean, you could could generate kind of a web page out of whatever is on the screen, and that's that was I think the 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 the, the birth hour of um, HTML going. That's how it all started, and it was yeah. a headache because you have all these stateful applications in the back end, and the, the the web just doesn't work that way. So a lot of effort was basically spent on getting kind of these two worlds synchronized and keeping things uh, basically going. Yeah, it was basically a year. Go ahead, sorry. Yeah, so it's basically what you're saying is that all the stuff that we've been going through the last uh, sort of five, six years with, with Fury was you already had the roots and the, the, the thoughts around using stateless uh, back then. Ah, but everything, <laughs> everything. <I> mean, <laughs> SAP basically invented the internet. I mean, if you think about the block mode that we already had back then on the screens, I mean, that was kind of that was the the, the origin of the internet. We could have we could have invented the internet. We were just kind of a few years late. Yeah. So just to explain this, I mean, I know it's hard to do this without you know kind of a diagram, but the back button really killed me. So I had the I don't know honor to build this thing that basically connects the ITS to the uh, to the Dumpers. And if you imagine, I mean, if you go through a normal transaction, you go whatever five steps forward, and if you want to go back, you press. I mean, back in the day, you press F3, and then you always go back. Right? The problem is, what do you do in the web, right? You go forward, you five screens, and then all of a sudden, you basically say on the web browser, "Well, let me go back five steps." You know, so the web browser says, you know, shows you the page from like five steps back. Unfortunately, the stateful Dumpro at that point was still five screens ahead. So I then came with the idea, could I just send in like five times F3 and simulate it? And you know, of course, it just ended in complete disaster, right? I mean, so we were like literally, I don't know, a year probably trying to make this simple and make this, you know, coordinated. And, you know, eventually we'll get to this. But eventually, as Bjorn has said, we just gave up on all this thing and basically said, well, let's just use this really as HTML GUI where the stuff is being generated. And really what you see on the web is exactly synchronized with what uh, is in the Dimper state. So you you briefly touched about the, the team before. Um, so you had this core team and then it sort of grew and grew. Um, can you just sort of explain the, the synergy of your team and, and why do you think you were so successful? That, that's something for Gandhi, Michael. <laughs> well, now, well, you need to explain the word then. <laughs> that's true, well, yeah. I, I think, first of all, I think it was, and it sounds a bit strange if we say that as the team, but I think it was really a, a very, very good team. Everybody was, I think, very talented, but 
talented in different ways, I would say. So, um, and, and I think what made it really successful that it was a small team. So you didn't have lots and lots of engineers and not really yet a plan on where you want to go, but you had the key minds on a, on a small team put together sort of in a startup garage atmosphere uh, who were quickly in very short cycles building it. Um, and when I, when I speak about the different characters, so we had, I'm not going to mention any names. We had no, no. one who was a very um, a good software engineer who just had in mind, this is how um, good code needs to look like, how good structure of the software needs to look like, how good theoretical principles need to be applied. Very clean, very neat, very structured approach. That was one person on the team. Um, and then we had somebody on the team who was much more of a experimental person. So you'd come in on a Monday morning um, and get the note. Well, I took it all apart and tried a completely different approach. And look, it seems to work. Which also thrust us, uh, gave us good thrust forward to to just uh, shake things up again and try new approaches. Uh, so if you combine the two, then you actually have, I think, a, a very good mix of our experimental and structured approach. But of course, that also sometimes causes some friction, um, which uh, at one day resulted in the statement that I'll never forget that. Um, the the accusation was, uh, I'm not uh, planning to be a physicist and I'm not building a particle accelerator, so why are we doing that here? So uh, I think that, <laughs> there were pretty funny times. Um, and then, of course, we had um, our junior developer who um, had to keep up with all this, what they what they built in the, in the backend system and uh, come up with the... Um, yeah, you could call it a development environment where the application developers could uh, be guided to come up with the right HTML visualization, the right pages. And that, of course, also was a challenge to if you have these two masterminds building the, the server engine to keep up with the development environment as a single person. So like I said, the team was very, very small. Um, I think it was, um, that was the inner team, if you would describe it as the inner circle. And then around that, we had all the application developers who I have to say without those, as we said early on on the program, um, we wouldn't have built the right thing either. So um, not to forget all these people from, from Waldorf who, who gave us a lot of input. That's how I would describe the team dynamics. Uh, and and the term or the name Gandhi, just to explain that, I mean, you know, we're not going to say, of course, who is who. I mean, possibly, of course, the one who is designing really perfect software could potentially be the the CTO of SAP right now, just hypothetically. But I mean, of course, whenever we had our moments, then Heckner came and you know had to kind of smooth it over, and that's how he earned himself the name Gandhi. Very effective. <laughs> and I think like what was from the dynamics was also like we were a pretty uh, since, since it was a very small team like there was like we were able like to throw out these ideas and also have conflicts I don't know how often we met in the server room um, and like there was always a, we called it always the server room discussions because like, like <laughs> someone had a conflict with someone and how they did it and it always ended up in the server room and <laughs> um, 
But it was always like, I think it was more the symbolic thing because we ran the benchmarks there. We, we knew that's like, that's where the core is. And that's where we then like in one-on-ones discussed like, okay, that's the right direction. That's the wrong direction. And the other thing, I guess, what we also did, we embedded these application developers. So some of them were actually in the same building, in the same office space. Um, so we really had a close touch point to our customers, which were these application developers. I also believe, I mean, we had a lot of fun as a team, quite frankly. I mean, we were spending uh, kind of stupid working hours, like early in the morning to late in the night. I can remember the, the days before Sapphire, where I think we all drove uh, home in the morning at four and were back in the office at seven or something. Yeah. Um, so really crazy working hours, but it was also fun kind of bringing the team together. And we were all in just one little cubicle area. So you could just turn the, the chairs around and you had a kind of quick uh, meetup or, or meeting. Um, we had Michael uh, Heckner Gandhi, who was kind of shielding us from all the, the distracting stuff that was going on with management higher above and kind of keeping them calm and kind of always spreading the message. We're making, they're making good progress. They're making good progress. Um, so I think that that helped a lot. And the server room, I can still remember that that was really a cool place. Um, it was really cool. It was cold. Um, so whatever heated discussion you carried in quickly <laughs> got um, uh, cooled down, I would say, and nobody wanted to spend uh, unnecessarily uh, long hours in, in that particular room, right? Yeah. Um, but what, what also helped, quite frankly, I think we were also kind of who, who was working on which topics. I think looking at projects we do now here at SAP, you wouldn't even start with less than 30 people, right? But back then it was like two people building the server. That was, was Michael and myself. We had uh, Thomas who was building the development tools, who was building the, the test automation tool, the performance and benchmark tool, uh, the installers. Um, and that basically all came together within um, I think the first thing we set up was a daily build procedure. So there was a golden code line. Everybody had to check in their changes uh, in the evening. We had uh, in the morning, we had an, a fresh build, which was then uh, uh, tested. Uh, I think every week or something, we released something to the application developers who had to dig through the latest uh, mistakes we had put into the code. <laughs> and I think that's how it worked. And and we were basically running the whole thing as a little uh, autonomous company almost, uh, where everything was covered from the the kind of slides. Uh, product management was with Michael Heckner as well. Um, so we we're doing everything. So we had a, had a pretty kind of, uh, we, we had a, a kind of freedom to reign over um, what brought things forward. And it was crazy schedules and a lot of pressure. But um, it also helped kind of uh, everybody to, I think, outperform um, and and uh, do in the end more than than kind of four individuals would normally be expected to uh, to do. And I think what also helped is that we really had the backing of senior management. So from the beginning, we had obviously the CEO of Ixus, who was very much Hans Stark Zimmermann, who was very much pushing us and said, "Do this," and also shielding us and said, ignore all these common comments that want to distract you. But we also had the direct line to uh, Peter Senke and the board of SAP. And I remember these regular review meetings with him, which was, of course, um, an, an effort to really show every time um, and, and strip down the complexity of where we were in development and put it down in a nutshell to say, OK, we accomplished A, B and C and next is D, E and F. So make it 
management consumable, but then also get the support from management to say, yes, you are doing the right thing, ignore everything else, keep going that way. I think that helped a lot um, because I think it was not the top management, but it was other people inside and also outside the organization. I remember right around CBIT, I think it was, we got already <laughs> one large vendor, the, the clear message, well, you can stop now. We got it covered in the operating system and in our browser, there is no need for, for you to develop anything else. So if you get these messages, sometimes you're a bit um, depressed. Stuck and you go, mm, are we really on the right track? And that having this reassurance from management, no, don't get upset, keep going, build it, do it. I think that was very, very much uh, yeah. um, a success principle. And that's, of course, 96 that we're still talking, right? So 97, you know, things changed a bit. I mean, we went back to um, the Foster City Tower at that point, which was really the first SAP Labs office, real office that um, that was on the West Coast. And, uh, you know, one of the things happened there, you know, just kind of Michael headed towards that. I mean, there were also alternative programming models that other groups inside of SAP were pursuing. I mean, there was one team, the employee self-service team, that was basically building applications, what we called them or what they called it outside in. You know, so in other words, basically it's like what you would call right now an outside application server connecting back in. Whereas our applications were really, you know, effectively, you know, traditional SAP applications kind of really extended out to the web. You know, so it was quite a bit of competition um, inside and um, you know, basically everybody was trying to do their best to support application developers. Um, and uh, in the end, fortunately, we kind of persevered as as a team and as you know, also as a model, you know, because we were pretty well connected with uh, the application developers in Waldorf. So it sounds like you guys had lots of lots of fun doing this, lots of good times. You must have had some some pressure moments, some difficult times as well. Does Does anyone want to recount some of those? Well, there was this one long night, I think it was before Sapphire, right, where we had a memory leak, which we couldn't find for long, long hours. I, I, Brian, you said we left it for, I seem to recall, it was more like six in the morning. Um, but I think we found it um, and then um, rested assured that, yes, this can go out and this can go to, to Sapphire. But there were these moments where you like, where is the problem? And uh, that, that of course, um, I think was one of the challenging moments. And then um, later in the project, I don't know, 97, 98, of course, sometimes these seemingly endless discussions about inside out, outside in, I think that was another challenging moment that I recall. Yeah, yeah and in terms of just because of my memory leaks, I mean, one of the things that was you know, by the way, really sort of special. I mean, I already mentioned there was like one operating system for ITS, which was Windows NT, but it was also a, I think the first MITE server within SAP. So in other words, if the server breaks because of uh, memory leaks, I mean, it dies. There's no, you know, it's not like the, the, the kernel, the SAP kernel, which is the work process is restarting. So there's all, all these things that we experimented with, that was new and, you know, that we suffered through. But the yeah, worst was actually, the worst was actually when Bjorn was, was changing my code. Bjorn, you have to talk about this. <laughs> uh, yeah, we had a few, we had a few <laughs> like uh, at some point in time, we figured out that uh, German or English would not suffice uh, in terms of language coverage. So we had to decide um, 
are what to do uh, kind of about the um, uh, about multi language support um, and. I know we were working towards the first uh, uh, Chinese version. What was it? Japanese? I don't know. A Japanese version or a Chinese version? Jump. Yeah. I can. I was really impressed when I saw the first kanjis later later on on uh, um, on, on the web. Um, but the problem was that uh, the R3 system was was still a multi-byte system, and on Windows you would of course go for Unicode. And uh, I think it was all complicated like hell, and and didn't kind of we didn't support multiple language uh, sufficiently. And then I think Michael was gone on a long weekend. Uh, I think it was a public holiday on a Monday, so he was gone for three days. And I took advantage of that fact and kind of changed all the code to Unicode over a weekend and kind of put all the conversion tables in and all that stuff. It actually worked when he came back, but still he wasn't great. <laughs> I think that was one again one of our server room moments that we had afterwards. I'm not sure if Michael has fully recovered from that um, shock. Yeah. What I can also remember is I can remember I was debugging. I, I, I think one of these memory leaks or we had a race condition somewhere because what was also kind of new, we were kind of using threading uh, heavily in ITS. Um, and I know at some point in time we had to introduce security somehow. I, I think it was a topic that came back up and in the Internet as well. And then we needed to encrypt communication between the ITS and the R3 server, and there was an infamous library, SNC, don't ask me what it stands for, Secure Network Communication, I believe. And it was put in, and when we had put it in, um, the server kept running, but after a while, it stopped and you had blocked uh, threads. And uh, I think that it was like after 28 hours of heavy load that the issue came up, and I can remember how we were using Thomas' tool to uh, drive uh, the sessions, have the server run for 28 hours, and then kind of do a debug session. And I was actually debugging with a colleague in Germany. So they were sitting here in the middle of the night, um, waiting for that thread to actually block on a semaphore somewhere and to then figure out why that was happening. I think we solved it. Um, so that one at least dent out. What I never solved is why the ITS interpreter actually kept crashing. Um, so there were some some weird things in there as well, which I think I never I never got around it to figure out why the interpreter was crashing. I'm not sure if that's still in the system or somebody finally figured it out. I don't know. Anyways. So if you could throw them back in time and and, and, and change something around the project, what, what would that be? Hmm, that's not easy, I think. <laughs> I think we all we all kind of think back as one very successful project, so I'm not sure. The project in and of itself, I think, I'm not sure I would change that much. I would have left writing the script interpreter to somebody who really knows what they were doing. <laughs> <laughs> well, it survived, you know. It you was know. It's actually, I had, to, I had to laugh because um, there was a question on the web, which was, why did the flow logic interpreter never have float and the answer is very simple because the expression evaluation were done through html business and as far as i remember Bure never put in float as a data type so that's a simple that's a simple answer for that um yeah i mean we can talk about flow logic another time but <laughs> so that was at least <laughs> the answer to that one flow logic seems to keep coming up as a as a common um a common theme here. Did you guys want to ex expand on that a little bit for the people listening? What 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 well, was so I'm, controversial I'm the, about Flow Logic? I'm I'm the bad guy. So I mean, to tell a little bit the story. So 
I mean, this was like 98. I mean, so, you know, we survived the whole inside out, outside in debate, employee self-service, you know, built on ITS, B2B procurement built on ITS. So it was all pretty, pretty cool. And then Bjorn had this idea to go back to Germany <laughs> and then, you know, started a development team and basically invented the business service pages, BSP. And I mean, I think back then, I mean, it was a bit of an existential moment because I mean, obviously from an, from an engineering perspective, yeah, I mean, if you generate HTML from, you know, state and from applications that are really run in an SAP system, where should the code live? Where should the HTTP port be opened? You know, where is the web server? Well, it is in the SAP system, right? So, I mean, from an engineering perspective, it was, you know, absolutely the right decision. But I mean, it led a little bit to the questions like, how can we be competitive to that? So, you know, and it was basically the idea, can we just take this flow logic thing, you know, it's kind of like a state machine to kind of a little bit emulate the this outside in feel. And it just didn't really work that well, you know, because basically what happened was that for re really, really simple applications, you know, it worked. But the moment people really started to stress it, you know, you use HTML business internally for these expressions and it was, it just was a model that didn't didn't quite work, and we eventually gave gave up gave up on it. Oh, I mean, in the end, both things survived, and and um, I mean, I can remember we were sitting in in uh, here in Palo Alto in the office uh, 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 over some beer in the evening, and we were always scratching our head, why the heck aren't they in Waldorf just putting all of the stuff that we're building outside in a separate server? Why don't they put that just into the ABAP server? And I mean, we never found a good answer. So we said, okay, well then let's just continue. And when I returned to Waldorf, the first thing we did was put that damn HTTP port into the app server um, because we could. And, um, uh, and then uh, uh, basically built a, a simple kind of programming model on top, which was BSP. But um, BSP, again, was something where you had to create HTML pages um, by yourself. You had to design the web UI uh, by yourself. And ITS in parallel, I think, or shortly after, started to evolve more and more into this um, automatic conversion engine that would take any Dunpro screen, including uh, fancy um, uh, um, uh, what is it? Uh, com uh, controls from Windows. Controls, yeah, right. Uh, and uh, like table. I mean, it was very popular back then in the 90s to whatever put uh, these these Windows controls into into Dunpros. Um, and and Michael kind of wrote a converter to get kind of even the the the, the Windows controls somehow uh, 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 spill out their data and and render accordingly on an HTML page. I think that was perfected into something we call HTML GUI today, which is still running in the ABAP server even in in S4. Uh, these days and is uh, uh, helping in all those cases, which was always a problem where someone would call somewhere in existing ABAP code that you couldn't control or whatever, some transport pop-up would uh, come up um, uh, uh, somewhere in, in a system. Um, and I think those things were in the end pretty complementary. Um, and I think while, while the team didn't see it like that and more as competition back then, I think it all turned out um, nicely for everybody. And yeah, things yeah. found their spot where they work particularly well. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, you know, in a way, basically, the flow logic was this attempt to, you know, kind of horrible attempt. Horrible attempt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was a horrible attempt to do outside in, 
you know, and in a way, basically, the, the extreme counter example was to basically see, well, these special applications are not being built. Application developers are really not building special kind of transactions for the web. Nobody wants to write these templates, you know, so what could be really the next step was, you know, as Bjorn has outlined, is basically you generate the HTML simply from what is on the screen, that became the HTML GUI, you know, and, you know, the controls worked and it took, you know, years, I mean, here, big shout out to my friend Ingo Hedwig, who really perfected this, this, uh, you know, I just did, did a prototype to show that it's viable, but then basically to build control after control after control, so that really basically it renders perfectly, it is, you know, uh, performant, it, it doesn't take a lot of data to send to the front end, all these kind of perfections, basically, I mean, I can't take credit for, I mean, that was really basically the engineering team, and in the end, at Waldorf, that, that uh, you know, perfected this. And even even today, I you know the HTML GUI is, is helping out a little bit in uh, in modern times as well, right? Helping you with your Fiori uh, aspirations, Bjorn. Yeah, I mean it, it, it's it's always, and I think that's something also to learn out of out of this project. I mean, um, no matter what new technology shows up and what fancy ideas you have, I mean, in in the enterprise space, there's never never kind of going to be an over the night revolution. It's always kind of the, the world is uh, analog. It's not digital, um, kind of in the software space. You can't switch everything you have in the in the uh, in the system off and say everything is now kind of in a new technology. Everything is now whatever fury. Everything is whatever comes up in five years from now. So the, the challenge we have, and, and I think that's also somewhat the, the challenge I see as as uh, from a CTO perspective, is of course like how how do you kind of how do you shape that transition from what you have deployed today and what you have implemented today into such a future? We can't disrupt kind of everything overnight. And with Fiori, it's a similar thing. It's I, I think Fiori is uh, kind of the the uh, uh, the essence of all the learnings that we had over the past years uh, in in how to build kind of uh, web-based frontends for and for for enterprise uh, software. And and there's a lot of learning gone in there in terms of how to do stateless, and in the meantime also learning on how to do stateful because that doesn't go away. Uh, no matter how much we we would love uh, these things to be all stateless all the time. Um, but um, there's, if you look at an R3 system or SAP business suite, um, I think it's a number of 300,000 Dunpro screens um, that are in those systems. And while you could say there's kind of a, it's, it's kind of a long tail, of course, of, of many uh, uh, thousands, tens of thousands of transactions, uh, which maybe only few users use or only occasionally use. Um, and there's a very kind of a, a limited set of transactions that everybody uses heavily. You will focus your efforts to rebuild things in a new technology, of course, not on the long tail, but on the most used transactions. And that's how Fiori is done. But then you need to consider, like, how long will it take you to go through 300,000 screens and convert them one by one into Fiori applications, only to have them maybe be implemented differently, but not behave differently afterwards? That just doesn't make sense. So you want to spend your effort on the new stuff where it makes a difference, and the rest you somehow, somehow need to cover. And, and ITS... Um, and uh, HTML GUI, as it kind of ITS uh, moved into the, the SAP kernel and into the ABAP system, um, is a very convenient way to cover the broad mass of applications that nobody wants to touch anymore. And you just need to render them reasonably well uh, in a browser and make them accessible. And this is exactly how Fiori and HTML GUI come together. 
So these days we've of course upgraded and, and updated the, the rendering logic and the, the style sheets and kind of make the look and feel um, and, and the behavior much more like uh, a, a native Fiori application. Um, but ITS has been evolving over the past years uh, continuously. It's, it's still an important part of how we do uh, web UIs at SAP and uh, it's really kind of covering the back of uh, those developers who work on the new Flory applications so they don't have to do everything at the same point in time. So it's, an, it's a really important part. And I think that's something to learn for other projects as well. Um, like we always need to consider kind of this transition and, and how do you preserve investments, massive investments that have been done in the past. So I'll just uh, want to ask another community question. So this is from Matt Harding. Um, can any of you think of something crazy or amazing that was done with the custom ITS solution pre-Netweaver Dice that you come across or you never dreamt of being able to, to build when you, when you, or dreamt of when you built the product? I mean, the apps that, that were built internally were pretty good. I mean, like employee self-service was pretty good. But when we talk like custom solutions, I can't remember, to be honest. I mean, I don't know if there's, I mean, nothing specific comes to mind. I mean, there were, of course, you know, customer questions that came in. But remember, we didn't have a community back then. Uh, did we have TechEd? Yeah. I think so. TechEd was started like First TechEd yeah. was there, yeah. Yeah. When was it? Um, 96 we had TechEd. I think 95 it yeah. started. Yeah. And yeah. I remember yeah. like the famous hands-on sessions, which Michael Hecken and I introduced at TechEd 96. And since then, ah. we have hands-on sessions. And that I was like on ITS. That is very true, actually. Yeah, so that's basically, where, yeah, we had the first hands-on session. That's exactly correct, you know. But really, I mean, in terms of customer solutions, I mean, yeah, community is really what was missing back then. Uh, I mean, like a community vehicle, like, you know, uh, like we have today, um, you know, because really the only time sometimes when you, when you heard about a, a custom development effort was literally when a problem came in. And then, of course, it was just so free of context and, you know, we're always so busy to, uh, you know, build stuff that, uh, yeah, we, we didn't really, I mean, at least I can't say that I really made a significant effort to follow up with customers and just to learn specifically what their project was was all about. You know, I you know, very much focused on supporting the internal application. You know, that was certainly very, very critical for us. I mean, like the first... Yeah, I think like the, the first thing was like the our customers were mostly internal first. And then um, the customers itself, they did a lot of customization. So I re still remember what Björn also mentioned, like when we saw the first application running in uh, Kanji. And uh, like I still remember these neon yellow web pages mm -hmm. coming out of Japan. <laughs> and we're like, wow, this is like amazing, like what people are actually doing with this. But at, at that time, like we wouldn't as we wouldn't add easily figure it out. And I, I think like there was a little bit like also later on, I remember that people started to put something on mobile. Um, but that was like so early on because he did not even have the, the bandwidth um, to to run all these things. So. so 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 to rephrase the question, maybe. So obviously, and what we've, we've discussed here and is that obviously the ITS is a, it's a cornerstone of, of SAP and, and the move to this, where we are today, basically. Finally, had... someone, finally someone says it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> would, would you have thought 22 years ago when you got together, maybe like the first time that, that you would have, like that you would be participating in a project of this significance? 
Yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, very modest. <laughs> I mean, for me, what 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 really, you know, kind of hit me was, I remember when, I mean, we had like mostly like very individual relationship with the developers, the internal developers, right? And then, you know, with HTML GUI and this thing called, what was it called? The workplace. So it was really basically the, the idea, the portal, the workplace. And it was basically important to run the old SAP system inside the browser. And we had like the first controls running and yeah, I was humbling, was, was just basically hopping along. And then we came to Waldorf. Uh, this was like, I don't know, early 99, I think. And we had like in the back then in the canteen of EVC, the development center, we had a thousand people. And I was like, oh my God. You know, so and we knew how deficient the system was and uh, and the rendering was at HTML back then. But yeah, I mean, it was a kind of an eye-opening moment for sure. But I think we never really came to think about how long it would live. I think we were just, the spirit nah. was make it work and mm. make the immediate requirements uh, or have the immediate requirements be met. But I think whether it would be there for two years, uh, certainly we wanted it to find its place and to, to stick around. But longevity, like 10, 20 years, I think, if I speak about for myself, I, I never thought about the duration, how long it would stick around. We simply, I think, we didn't even have the time to think in, in those dimensions. We just wanted to get the next project phase completed. That's how I remember the time. What is, um, so just to sort of try and wrap up now, we've been talking for a while and I'm, I'm conscious of your time as well. So quickly, your fondest memory from that time, what would that be? No, I, I mean, would say we had the team spirit. I, I, yeah. That was what impressed me most. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did a lot of things outside of work too. You know, I think there was like a river rafting trip, if I recall, hiking. You know, eventually we were even allowed to go to Hawaii. You know, including significant others. Oh my God, there was like, as far as I remember, like a little bit of a political situation <laughs> inside. Uh, inside of SAP that we were allowed to do that. Um, yeah, so yeah, we did a lot of lot of things together, just not just work, but you know, also outside it, of work too. It, it was the only team that I ever had, I have to admit, and they didn't expel me immediately. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it was um, the best team. I, I always said it, it was the best team I ever worked on. Uh, and I, I'm not just saying this, uh, it was the best working experience that I ever had here at SAP, just because it was so intense and we had so much fun. And we, I think we did what we um, were deeply convinced of. And I, I think that's definitely something you, uh, whatever, should take out of this. If, if there's anything you want to remember about ITS, it's, uh, um, and, and this project, um, I think it's, it's really, only work on things you're really convinced of. Um, make sure you have some fun while doing it. And uh, we're really sorry about all the hassle we have created with this. So we really are. <laughs> <laughs> all right, on, on that bombshell, um, thank you, sir, guys, so much for having you, uh, uh, well, for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, and thank you for taking your time. Thanks for having us, guys. Uh, thank you. Thank you all very much. Thank you. It's great. I really enjoyed that story about how the ITS was born 
And even though it's been over 20 years, the guys clearly loved that time in their lives and produced something very special as a team. If you have any comments or suggestions for the show, please reach out to us on Twitter. That's all for now. Until next time. Special thanks to Matt Harding for providing the new music for the show. Thanks, Matt. You're a legend.